Welcome to Inspiring People and Places, where we interview national leaders in the architectural, engineering, construction, and development industry in an effort to educate, innovate, and inspire industry professionals to disrupt the status quo, improve their project teams, and steward public and private investments more effectively. I'm your host, BJ Kramer, President and CEO of MCFA. Allow me to introduce today's guest. All right, Inspiring People and Places, we are back with a great interview. We were just talking before the show, so I'm pretty excited about our next guest. Allow me to introduce Catherine Martinez, who is both a professional engineer and a project management professional, working as a senior director for Macro. At Macro, she leads teams that provide project management, owner's representation, and management consulting. And we'll also touch on what she's doing inside the company with their ESG capabilities. Without further ado, Catherine Martinez, welcome to the show. Hi, PJ. Thanks for having me. Excited to dig in. I know a little bit about you, but I can't wait to hear it in your own words. Every interview starts with us getting to know you. So before we go back in time, tell us the elevator pitch for who you are, what you do at Macro right now. So like you said, Macro provides owner's representation services, which is, you know, how do we differentiate ourselves from, from other folks? I would say Macro is very white glove. We love to get in with clients that have tricky problems to solve, not just on the construction side, but we do get involved in, we've been doing a lot of return to workplace, a lot of change management, which is obviously hmm. in commercial real estate right now, kind of a hot topic. So yeah, we do we do your typical like owners rep construction type stuff, but also get in kind of more on the soft skills side too. So, so because because you went there, so is commercial real estate your primary client base? That's that's like my specialty. We do some like critical critical facilities, data centers, that kind of stuff too. But commercial real estate's really uh, kind of where my expertise lies. Okay, so since you went there, capital markets are complicating the real estate, the office real estate, yes. in addition to the COVID hybrid workforce, how are you guys playing in that space? So there's, you know, it's kind of like shorting a stock, I guess, and that there's work to be done in companies wanting to contract the footprint of their workplace. A lot of projects that we get involved in are people who are trying to give back square footage or sublease, subdivide their current locations. And, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of planning and forethought that has to go into doing that because at the same time, you're trying to get people to come back to work, but in a way you're like making the environment a little bit less, you know, you're giving everybody a little less elbow room. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of managing of expectations and careful planning that goes into that. And it's, it's kind of a unique dance that we're all doing right now, but I think art, you know, and, art and science. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, we might touch back on that. So yeah, right, that's what you're doing at macro. Now uh, you've had an awesome resume that I've read through. So take us back to the beginning of how Catherine Martinez ended up working in the built environment. Sure. So there's there's some zigs and zags along there, as I'm sure you noticed while you were reading through my my history. But just going back to when I was in you know middle school, I was always kind of encouraged by my dad to go into the engineering field. His 
his educational background was civil engineering, but he's always kind of worked in the MEP space and facilities. So he used to bring me to work all the time. You know, it didn't matter if it was bring your daughter to work day or not. I was going to go with them. And it was great because he would, he would introduce me to every single woman that he worked with. And so for me, like very, very early on, it was kind of normalized to see women in engineering and working in facilities and kind of didn't, didn't seem unusual to me. And actually, I didn't realize that it kind of was unusual until I got into college and I, there was like two other girls in my classes. <laughs> but yeah, he, when I was younger, he was working at Penn facilities and I just, I loved going into those buildings. Like they all, you know, the Frank Furness library has a personality to it and you walk into it and it's such a sense of place. And then you go to a lab building and that's completely different environment that has a totally other feeling to it. And I, I just kind of fell in love with the idea of, you know, being a part of how buildings get built and how they get maintained and how they get used, which has kind of been a a thread throughout my career. So I went to school for mechanical engineering at College of New Jersey. And when I came out, I jumped right into MEP consulting, kind of similar to what my, what my dad had trained me to be into, but it didn't, I liked it and I, I liked doing the design work and I liked kind of getting into the details, but it didn't feel like, felt like a tight fit a little bit for me. And I, you know, I wasn't sure if that was where I was going to end up for the, for the extent of my career and who stays in any one field anymore ever anyway. So <laughs> that was like my youthful, youthful exuberance, I guess. I <laughs> so that, that was... 20, 2002, I graduated and about 2004, our workload kind of took a dive and I was laid off, which really stunk at the time. I had just bought my first house and I was oh. like, petrified as to what was going to happen. But I did want to take that as an opportunity to really think about, you know, what my next move was going to be. And I knew that I didn't want it to necessarily be, you know, lather, rinse, repeat, and do more MEP consulting. So I ended up working at Troner, which is where I met Matt Handel, who who connected us. So yeah. thanks, Matt. Um, Shout out to Matt. Shout out to Ted Troner for starting the company, Go Army West Point grad. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. So that was a super cool job. Like it's it's litigation support and claims consulting and building these, like part of the service that they offer is to build these massive, you know, at the time it was P6. So that shows my age too, but these massive schedules, right. For, it could have been, I worked on highway projects. I worked on hospital projects. I worked on vertical construction projects, all kinds of stuff. And I loved it because like you're, you're sort of up at this thousand foot view kind of looking at how all this stuff comes together and also because of the claims piece, like definitely learning what not to do, <laughs> but, yeah, how projects go, go wrong. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I, I reference the stuff that I learned. Document everything. Uh, yeah. Learning how to pay for a job. And at that time, you know, document discovery was still on paper. So we would be, you know, we would be shown into these rooms that was just like, mountains of banker boxes and it would be like go nuts (laughs) and some of the some of the stuff that you would find like in superintendent's diaries and stuff was it was 
crazy what people would write down. But <laughs> um, <laughs> the many personalities of a construction site. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it it really was a cool like crash course in what what the universe of a construction project is and who the players are. And that was you know that was something that I was not going to get just from being at my desk designing you know hydronic systems. Well, and I think the other thing I, I'll I'll say is. I always look at this from a marketing perspective, but when you're in a claims consulting role and you're seeing a bunch of different project types, it's almost like you're getting that experience without having to have lived the entire project. You're, you're right. getting all of those reps of like, oh, that's what that kind of project looks like. And that's how that project can go wrong. And that's exactly. what a superintendent does. And that's how it, it's interesting. All, all the learning and none of the gray hair, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's like, oh, not my responsibility. Wow. They really screwed that one up. Exactly. So that was, that was terrific. And I, I got to travel quite a bit and that was, you know, before, before becoming a parent. So work travel was still kind of a fun thing and not a pain. <laughs> and then through that, I, I kind of took another pretty long detour. I, a colleague of mine from Toronto had moved on and gone on to Lockheed Martin in Morristown, New Jersey. And she was moving up in her career there. And she, she got in touch with me and she said, you know, you would be perfect to backfill my position. So she was at the time. And then I stepped into the role. She was managing a team of master planners, risk managers for, they were all associated with the Aegis program at Lockheed, which is like this, you know, has this huge legacy of decades and decades of, of work with the Missile Defense Agency and the U.S. Navy. And that so was not... When you say master planning in that regard, what do you mm -hmm. mean by it? Literally building, building plans and schedules by which these big multi-year, you know, million and trillion dollar projects are going to be managed. So you lay the plan out and then the way it works, and you probably know this, BJ, but the way that it works with government contracting is that there's a lot of rigor around financial and schedule reporting, right? Because mm -hmm. you want transparency. Firm rates and all that. Yep. Yep. And uh, so there, there's a lot of data that needs to go into being able to do that reporting. And we would kind of set up the schedule and all the financial stuff. And then, you know, manage and monitor it. So it's it's partly for reporting, but also to be forward looking and like look at your program and be like, you know, we thought we were going to have a team of 30 software developers doing this task and, you know, they'd be about here by now and I see a bad trend developing. So how do we how do we course correct and get back on track? So, um, so very much project management, but just not in the built environment. Exactly. Exactly. PM um, for government contracts. Yeah. Yeah. And then because of my, my background in, you know, a small sliver of the built environment, eventually this project came, came into being called Aegis Assure, which was, they were taking the Aegis radar system, which is typically on ships and they were adapting it to land-based facilities. Hmm. And that was, you know, part of the, part of the, theater of defense that they were building around Russia. So the first, there was a test site out in Hawaii and there was a, the first operational site is in Devesalo, Romania on like a, it was a decommissioned Russian air force base. Not bad so, travel 
destinations. Yeah. So uh, Devesalu is like not much happening there. I mean, Aegis Ashore is there now, but they had one American sports bar, which was pretty hysterical. <laughs> it's like straight out of Borat. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, we got to fly in and out of Bucharest. So I, I tried to extend my travels on the tail end there. But yeah, so there was there was a built component to that because it was a, a land-based facility. So right. they had to build, you know, the building itself is a giant hemp shield. And it's basically the radar and the radome that would be on a ship, but it's sitting on the ground. So I was like way, way out at the very extending myself as far as I possibly could in terms of like a job experience. I had none in that arena, but I just like, it was, you know, it was a really incredible part of my career because I would just was learning so rapidly and doing all this stuff that I never thought that I would have an opportunity to do. And it was, it was kind of at that part of my career where I had, my first leadership and management experiences and, and really where I learned a lot about like what kind of a leader I wanted to be. We got the opportunity to interact with the, the sailors that were going to be using our equipment a lot. And they were, they were super young and they were just out of warfare college and like super energetic and, and fun and great guys. And, you know, they all had their individual mission and task, but they all had like a very great sense of here's the overarching mission. Here's where I fit in. Here's why I'm important. And it, it like, it really drove it home that in order to, in order to enable people to be successful in their small piece or their big piece of whatever it is that you're working on, you really need to provide context for right. everything. And here's the big picture and here's, here's why you're important, right? You can't, it's not really going to make people rise to the occasion and, and give you their all if they can't see, you know, where they fit in to, yeah. to the greater goal. So that, that was definitely like a very important thing that I, that I picked up along the way there. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So after that, I, at that time, I was about, I guess I was about five, six years into my career at Lockheed. And like I said, just tremendous leaps and bounds. Every couple of years, I would get like, you know, this great fat promotion and I was feeling pretty good about myself. <laughs> and I I went out on maternity leave. So I, I, my daughter is nine now. But when I came back, I kind of felt a little bit stagnant. I wasn't sure where I was going to fit myself back in. So you came back to Lockheed from maternity leave. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Got that, they, good, I mean, got that were, good corporate maternity leave at Lockheed. Oh, it was actually. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at first I called HR in fact, and I was like, this can't be right. Like this feels like I'm stealing money. <laughs> but uh, yeah. And they were, they were wonderfully supportive. My, my manager at the time is somebody that I still talk to, you know, every, every few weeks. Just Is this still the same woman that brought you from Tronor? No, no. Okay. So she, she went on to, she actually went on to be associated with a project on, on Quadge. So she was out in the middle of nowhere. Oh, wow. She moved her whole family out there. It was pretty wild. But so, yeah, I, I, they treated me very well in my return back to the office and everything, but I just felt a little bit 
like antsy. I don't, I don't know what the next step for me is here. And granted, like I look back on it and I was kind of being impatient, but that is, that is my blind spot. <laughs> to be impatient. So at the time I was kind of just, again, like standing at this crossroads, imagining what I might want to do next. And I, I kind of realized like, I really miss being part of building a building, you know, in the, in the more traditional sense. And at that time, Comcast Technology Center was like just coming out of the ground. They were drilling caissons at the time that I was looking for a new job. And so that's Liberty Property Trust, right? Liberty Property Trust. Yep. Which is now kind of defunct. They've, they've sort of became prologists, but sort of not really. And I, I saw, I responded to like a listing on Indeed and I said, I'm just going to walk in there and try to market myself the best I can. So I, I talked a lot in my interview about my ability to see things big picture and see how projects come together and, you know, manage these huge teams. Cause at Lockheed, I was, I was, you know, kind of moving moving pieces around this humongous chessboard with all types of disciplines of engineers and manufacturing and and all that kind of stuff. So I, I had learned how to orchestrate all that and how to, how to work in like a matrix organization where you're leading people and getting people who don't work for you to, to work with you or for you. Right. Which is what is really the essence of what project management is. So I, I talked them into taking a chance on me. They, they picked me up as a contractor and I jumped into the, the wild world of skyscraper construction. So my area of, of the project was there, it was a couple different things, but the biggest piece of what I was working on was the NBC 10 Telemundo studios. So, you know, pretty kind cool. Of, yeah, very cool. And again, something like I never set foot in a broadcast studio ever in my life. The the day that I went to the site visit for their existing studio was the first time I've ever set foot in a studio. <laughs> so, you know, who who better to be in charge of that? That's right. <laughs> so you went for the interview when it was just coming out of the ground. Mm-hmm. Were you with the Telemundo? Was that like the fit out for their office space? So it or was, did you see the skyscraper come together? The interesting thing about that part of the project is they had within the building, they had an entirely separate central plant, right? So their own chillers, own generator, really? own day tank. So the theory being that if the whole building went down, they used to joke, if the whole building you know, goes down, everybody's going to run out and we're going to run in. <laughs> to go report on it, you know. Uh, so it was it was kind of like a little universe within the universe of the building, which was you know Foster and Partners was the the design architect, and they kind of marketed the building as a as a vertical campus, right? So you've got Comcast Workplace, you've got the TV studio sandwiched in the middle, you've got all these like fabulous amenity spaces, and then up at the top you have the Four Seasons Hotel. Don't ask me how the programming came together for that, <laughs> but it works. It's a beautiful building. Anchor um, anchor tenants. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I was I was like in you know right in the thick of this 
amazing project coming together. And it was, you know, it was great as again, as like a very intense learning experience. And the other thing that really helped me is that, you know, every subcontractor in the Philadelphia area was at one point working in that building. So it, it enabled me to make a lot of connections to the trades and, and stuff that, you know, I can leverage now in, in my job. Right. So I walk into do a subcontractor D scope now, and it's familiar faces a lot of the time, which is great because Philly is kind of a small town, right? People like to, people like to work with who they know. Yeah. Well, and you got to be part of, you know, you're a Philly girl that got to be part of, you know, it's a trophy building at the time. It was the tallest building, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it is awesome. It's awesome to like, look at pictures of the city and be like, I built that. I, I helped do that. Yeah. When I was actually, when I was little, a lot of my uncles were like union electricians and some of them did work in Liberty one and two. And they used to always, always say like, Oh, I, you know, I was in that building. I know like they built it yeah. by themselves. <laughs> I was pretty impressed as a little oh, Well, kid. think about that back to your leadership lesson. Whatever piece of it, they had context that they were a part of building this, you know, trophy skyline building. Exactly. And I think I think we all take pride in in being part of, you know, large complex projects that when people see them it's like I was a part of that. Yes, for sure. That's that's like the most gratifying thing about what I we agree. Do, I think, right? <laughs> I agree. Yeah. All right. So you were a contractor for Liberty Property Trust. Yes. So when when my role started winding down on the project, I was thinking about I for a little bit I dipped back into MEP consulting. I just kind of felt like I wanted to I wanted to get my chops back a little bit in terms of my engineering knowledge. And just see what it felt like at that point in my career, kind of with all of these collective experiences that had built up. Like, yeah. would I feel different about that field? And the other nice thing was I, I came in as like a as a director. So I had a team of people directly reporting to me again, which was nice. It was something that I, I did kind of miss while I was working on CTC. I am one of those weird people that actually likes being a manager (laughs) really works very hard at it and takes it super seriously. So that was, that was great. But again, like it still wasn't MEP consulting still wasn't the right fit. And I, I had an opportunity kind of come across my lap with macro. So they had been the tenant representative in CTC. And so I had, I had worked with all of all of the folks there in the Philly office and in the New York office. And honestly, like we had all seen each other in our worst moments professionally, like, and had knockdown drag out fights and made up. And, you know, the, the fact that I had, I had seen how, how my teammates were going to be in sticky situations and, you know, knew that even if they, pissed me off at times that like they are people of integrity uh, and very like highly skilled in what they do. So it was, I went around and around on it for a while before I decided to go to macro, but 
ultimately I knew, you know, it was going to be the right, the right fit for me. So it's been, my year anniversary will be in September and I've been really still pretty new. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm, I'm happy with, I'm happy with the move. I feel like I'm back home again and, and, you know, the PM world is where I, I think I really shine the best and what feels the best to me. That's great. Go to work in the morning. So that is my long and shaggy dog tail. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think the the big reason we do this is because careers aren't built on a single job and, you know, finding your way into one, the company or core, core value alignment culture of the people that you work with is critically important, but also, you know, weaving together this tapestry of experiences that all of a sudden like, oh, that's why I did this, 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 and this, because it was preparing me to have this large perspective and this micro perspective of a project. And now I, I can see something from, you know, cradle to cradle to grave. Yeah. Um, and this is, this is why you're the host. So you summed that up very eloquently. <laughs> well, I, it's, it's also a theme and, and you called it impatience. Maybe some people would call it ambition. Maybe it's also just a self-awareness that like, once I've gotten enough of something, I know it's time to like challenge myself again. Yeah. And I think it's cool that you left the AEC built environment world to go try Lockheed, which is completely different. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I felt like a fish out of water for a while until I got, you know, kind of got used to that that culture, but I'm glad I did it. I, it was a really great little leg of my career. And and it gives you, you know, I think all of these experiences are what make us, you know, well, well-versed professionals that understand different corporate climates. So yeah. now you could deal Absolutely. with a client that's like Lockheed because you know how maybe slow or big or how many people have to sign off on something and why it's so complicated or why that project's going to be a lot more expensive than they think it is because a lot of people are going to have to weigh in on every decision. Exactly right. Exactly Um, right. (laughs) So I I love the the path that you took and I'm biased because you're a Philly native. So (laughs) throughout the entire you know career path, are there any projects or challenging, you know, you talked about the knockout drag out fights. You talk about kind of being a fish out of water at Lockheed, but are there any moments in your career where you're like, that's really where I learned this valuable leadership lesson? Yeah, I, I think the the Aegis Ashore project, Aegis Ashore and Comcast Technology are probably like the two crowning jewels thus far of my career in terms of like magnitude of the project level of complexity but also just like the the sheer sense of accomplishment that i got from both of them like really after being through those two very different programs there's not you know i kind of came out feeling like well there's not much you're going to throw at me that i can't you know tough my way through with aegis ashore you know having the the base of where all the the software development and everything being in Morristown, New Jersey, manufacturing in the Midwest, test bed out in Hawaii at Pacific Missile Fire Range right on Kauai, and then the site in Romania. So you're 
you're in constant contact with all of these different teams and in different time zones. And, you know, at one point I was negotiating travel packages for, for ships installation people. So like doing, doing stuff so far out of my comfort zone. And I, I just kind of realized how capable I am and most people are like, if they just, you know, dig deep and, and just say like, all right, I'm, I'm going to do this. Right. You nine times out of 10, 9.9 times out of 10, you can. Right. And when you're, when you start to like approach your career and your life coming from that, like inner well of confidence, like you're, you can do. You're unstoppable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're all human and you know, our energy is not infinite, but (laughs) we'll get, we'll get to that part later. But it just, my, my belief in myself just like grew tremendously. When I was growing up, my, my dad has this really amazing, you know, American dream story. He, he came from, uh, from Mexico when he was a teenager and his family did not have two pennies to rub together. And, you know, he's a, he's a college graduate who went on to have a great career in engineering and he, he did that all in his own steam. So when we were growing up, he was, he was very much like, there's, there's nothing you can't do if you just put your mind to it. And I, when I was a teenager, I was pretty obnoxious. (laughs) Oh, dad, you're just saying that Um, you, you know, you expect too much. And, but now like that I'm an adult and I have all this collective life experience behind me. Like I, I think I tend to agree with him more than that. (laughs) So I got to dig into this because it presented itself. So you talked about a sense of accomplishment and then Mm -hmm. you just hit on the, the idea of expecting too much. And I think that that's the healthy balance of putting ourselves in situations that are going to stress us out like crazy and stretch us and challenge us to dig deep uh, and then getting out on the other side of it. And, and because, because you're a Philly gal, hopefully you're an Eagles fan. Brian Dawkins actually talked about this inside of, in his hall of fame speech. And he just constantly talked about how on the other side of adversity is the next success. And when you talk about a sense of accomplishment or ambition, and maybe it's like, Hey, I've now had that next level of success. It's time for me to go. It's not itchy. It's that I, I'm a grower and I need to, I need to continue challenging myself to grow and expand. Yeah. Yeah, And the, the, Things that, you know, the things and the the mental and emotional work that you're doing when you're early in your career is totally different than when you're mid-career or later in your career, right? I, I mean, a lot of my a lot of my time is not necessarily in like doing task-oriented stuff anymore. It's really more strategic. And that's that's like a shift in perspective that I had to go through, right? The other the other thing that happens for a lot of us is like, you know, when I was, when it was just me and I didn't have a family, I could, I could work forever all hours of the day and night if I wanted to. Right. And, and have no, no fallout from that, no repercussion other than, geez, I could really use a vacation. Right. But now, you know, I have, I'm married, I have a daughter. I want, I want a full and complete life. Right. So 
trying to trying to figure out how to ride that line and and what you know what eggs you're going to put in what basket on any given day like that's that's a new challenge right it is it's an important one right <laughs> i think it's the most important and and I, hopefully this speaks to any of our listeners that, you know, I have eight, six, and four at home. So everybody tells you, you know, don't blink. It goes so fast. Don't miss out. Enjoy this time. And then you're also shifting your perspective at work from maybe doer to manager to strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, how do I do that? <laughs> Man, I really want to be present, but the ever calling email and phone is there to, and like when you're proving yourself, it's like, I'm going to do as many reps as I have to do. And I'm going to answer emails till 10 o'clock at night. And yeah, yeah, you know, shifting those habits and then becoming more effective as a professional. It, it is, there's a book. I, I, I don't even know that I read the whole thing, but I remember yeah, the title. <laughs> I, I remember the title was what got you here won't get you there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and the whole concept is we have to continue to evolve as professionals as you move up because, you know, there's very few things that are on my to-do list now that I'm going to accomplish today because they're so macro. They're like, I'm just incrementally moving them along over the next three years, but there's a lot right. of people playing in, you know, getting, getting different parts of that done. Right. I don't know how I went down that path. But, but <laughs> good stuff though. Good it's, stuff. it is, it's a balance. And I agree with you 100% that it's easy to be a workaholic, right? Yeah. It's yeah. not easy to have a full life and balance it all out and juggle all of the things all of the time. So it's a, it's a continuous learning process. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, I hope uh, that kind of the culture of how people work over, over the course of my career. And I don't know if you agree with this, but I, I do think it is changing a little bit, especially with kind of hybrid work, right. That people are being a little bit more protective of their boundaries. You know, I, you mentioned, you kind of have to make sure that the, the culture of the place that you're working with, jives with what you want, right? So part of what I like about where I'm at now is I don't get emails and requests at 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. It's, you know, people are respectful of, you know, you're working your ass off in the time that you're here, but like to be a whole person, you have to put it away at some point. Yeah. And I, you know, I try to respect those boundaries for other people too, right? And I think that's the, as, as a leader, right. That's the kind of example that I want to be setting. I, and I think that's the only way that we set those cultures is by doing it ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, Hey, I think everybody should take vacation. So I'm not going to tell everybody to take vacation. I'm going to take vacation and I'm not going to answer emails right, while I'm on vacation. Right. Like that's exactly, that's the expectation. And it, but it is a balance because you're constantly trying to see the potential in people. And you want to push them and sometimes you have to work hard to reach your potential. And if you're ambitious and impatient, you might need to squeeze two years of experience into one year by doing a whole lot in that one year. Right, um, right. You might have to take on the Comcast 
project and pull your hair out for yeah. nine months. Yeah. We've definitely done like, you know, you sprint for a while. Exactly. And then you kind of do a leisurely job for a while. <laughs> yeah. The art, it's, it's hard in small business to, to be completely intentional and planned about that because you're constantly re reacting and responding to the marketplace. The army does a really good job at it because it's like when you're in command positions, it's like, it's a 24 seven, everybody needs access to you. Everybody wants to see you. You're going, you know, you are just a servant to the, the people under you. Yeah. And then you take a staff position or you go get a developmental position. Like you go to school for a year and it's like, what yeah. the hell just happened? Yeah. Like, <laughs> man, I have so much time on my hands. Yeah. And, yeah. and one more story about like, I was a Lieutenant and there was a captain in our battalion. And I remember going home at night at like, you know, we'd have five 30 PT and I want to get home until six 30 at night. And the next day I'd be like, Oh God, back at it. Five 30. And this captain would be like, Oh, what'd you guys do last night? I'm like, I got a workout in and I grilled a burger and went to bed. Like, right. Right. Like, what did you do? He's like, Oh, I got four kids. So I was at sporting games and yeah, you know, it's like, <laughs> Oh my God, I don't yeah. know how anybody has the energy to do anything yeah. after work. And it's like, you just kind of continue to, to grow and evolve. Yeah. Your, your capacity, just like, it's like your muscles, right? The, the more you practice and the more you do, the more you can do. Yeah. Right? It's, it's kind of, you don't realize you don't realize that that's happening to you in, in your work until you kind of take a moment and you look, you know, you do what I did as I was thinking through what we were going to talk about. And you look at the entire breadth of your career and you're like, holy cow, like, yeah, look at all I can do now. It's pretty cool. It, it's really cool. Inspiring People in Places is brought to you by MCFA. MCFA is a CVE verified service disabled veteran owned small business. At MCFA, our why is to inspire people and places through project leadership. We provide planning, strategy, program management, and construction management support services to a wide variety of public and private sector clients. All right, we're going to move to some rapid fire questions, okay. rapid-ish. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to go to current events, public policy trends, because you touched on ESG in your, in your role. So talk to us about, yeah. for those who don't know what ESG is and how, what you're doing at macro is what, what it is. So ESG is environmental, social and governance, right? So it's, we in the built environment have been talking about sustainability for a long time, right? This is this is layering on top of that, right? So it's not just sustainability of, you know, embodied carbon in your construction project or, you know, how how sustainable your whole supply chain is, things like right. that. It's how are you creating an equitable environment for your employees? How are you serving the community? How are, you know, so it's, Think of the the S part as kind of an extension of, of DE&I almost, right? A little different twist on that. And then governance is how are you policing yourself, right? How are you making sure that you are backing up what you say you're going to do in terms of environmental stewardship 
and, you know, fair and equitable inclusion for employees and the community that you're in. So it's, it takes so many different avenues, right? This topic, but where macro kind of comes into the, to the picture is how can we help clients who are undergoing a capital project to make sure that they're making the most sustainable choices. And that could be anything from environmental due diligence of your site selection to what are the materials that you're using to build your facility, you know, and then in operations, it's, it could be, you know, how are you, do you have paper plates in your office? It could be so many different things. So Macro is part of Savills, which is a brokerage, right? And Savills UK has this incredible, robust program called Savills Earth that has, you know, a team of 150 people that all they do all day is eat, breathe, sleep, ESG. And the US kind of culturally in general, we are behind the curve a little bit of where Europe is. So we are trying to kind of bolster our ESG practice within macro and within Savills. So, you know, we're, we're kind of in the crawling phase right now, but yeah. I'm hoping that we're walking and running before, before very long. Well, that's a fun, that's long and a short answer. I mean, it's, you're kind of R and Ding it inside of the company. So it's probably scratching an itch for you too, to like be learning and growing something else. It is. Um, It's very cool. And and the fact that it is something that like we should all be so personally invested in, right? It it makes it even even sweeter for me. Just to feel like very mission oriented. That's great. And and I mean, I think triple bottom line ish is it's also it's also a service to the funds or the sponsors or the equity investors in the projects that you're working on. So it's really, it's, it's a great service to everybody. We'll have to catch up more on that. All right. Must read book. I'm a pretty voracious reader. A book that I'm reading right now is it's called May Cause Miracles. And it is a, it's kind of like a 40 day mindfulness practice. So you do an exercise in the morning and then you kind of go through your day with it marinating in the back of your mind and you take time to reflect on it at the end of the day. And over this course of this 40 day practice, you know, I, I think I'm going to come out of the 40 days kind of a little bit changed in a good way. So part of part of it is, you know, just getting quiet with yourself, which is hard sometimes, right? And in, in a world where you wake up next to your little entertainment machine, right? <laughs> so even just by virtue of getting up and spending a few minutes on myself, where like my my focus is me and my emotional well-being and my mental health, even for five minutes, it it makes a big difference yeah. before you hurl yourself in, into your day. <laughs> well, it's, it, it, how many days are you into this? Uh, so okay. 25% of the way through. I've always found that the problem I have with meditation and mindfulness is unlike a physical workout where it's like, all right, I'm sweating or I'm tired or whatever. It's like, am I doing it right? 
Yeah, I, I, yeah. For achievement-oriented people, it is a it is a foreign concept. Yeah, that you have to get used to. No, there's no sense of accomplishment. <laughs> it's like, okay, I did it. It's it, you don't know what it is, but you'll know it I, when when it's there. Yeah, <laughs> I have I have debates with myself about this. Yeah, I, I it is it is again like not something that is naturally in my wheelhouse, right? It, right. it feels a little woo woo to me, but I I think it's you know if you don't ever try something new, uh, you know, you'll learn something new. I'm with <laughs> you. We're we're reconnecting 22nd of July, and we're gonna see where you're you're gonna be a new person. <laughs> right. I'll be uh, I'll be floating. Right <laughs> <laughs> All right, favorite quotes. So my mother always says, wherever you go, there you are. And I love it, right? Because you can't, you can't get away from yourself. Uh, but as I told my husband, we were going to do this podcast. And he's like, that's an Austin Powers quote. <laughs> I, I was actually going to say it's a Mike Brady quote. I think from the Brady Bunch, I, uh, maybe the Brady Bunch movie, Michael Furman, who's our, my partner, would hold, tell me if that's true. Um, too funny, but yeah, I, I, I've always liked that. And, and, you know, it kind of a good reminder, right. That you are who you are, no matter what. So you better know yourself, <laughs> but you know, another thing that I've been kind of thinking of is like my, a little personal slogan is, um, don't talk about it, be about it. Right. So especially I think for, for women, it's difficult sometimes to, talk about yourself in a way that feels comfortable and not like weirdly self-promoting. So I like to think about how do my, like, how do my accomplishments and how does the work that I do speak for itself? Right. And, and kind of use that as a, as a springboard for showing people who I am and what I can do, which is, you know, especially important when you're in consulting, right. Because people are really paying for you and your brain. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not, it's not a good <laughs> <it's> a service. <laughs> so yeah, that's what I've been thinking a lot about lately. Well, you also talked about how your dad said that, you know, anything is possible or you can do it. And now you're showing that to your daughter, not just telling her it. So your career path alone is not talking about it. You're being about it. Right. So that's pretty powerful. Yeah, having having little little ones watching you is a very powerful motivator. It, it sure is. <laughs> I just had a quote. I sent a weekly email, and last week, in honor of Father's Day, the quote I forget who said it, but it was, "Don't worry that they're not listening to you. Worry that they are watching you." Exactly. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for that. <laughs> All right, dead or alive, if you could hang out with three people for a day or for a dinner party, who would they be? I'll give you two right off the bat. So you mentioned a couple of times I'm a Philadelphia local, very, very proud, love my city. And, you know, you probably know that Ben Franklin was a notorious party animal. So I do. I think you would be a good one. And I would, I would really love, you know, my, my grandmother passed away when I was in college, but it would be sure awesome to spend a day with her. Yeah. Just ask her all the questions that I was not mature enough to even think about <laughs> when she was with me. Yeah. So that's two. All right. <laughs> we'll, we'll let two be it. Legacy. 
What do you want to earn tombstone? How do you want to be remembered? I, you know, I, in a business sense, I want to be thought of as somebody who acted with integrity and who, you know, added something to the mix and, you know, left particularly with projects in the city, like leave a, a positive mark and leave it better than you found it. And, you know, talked a little bit about being a parent. So in my personal life and with my daughter, especially, I, I want her to look at me as somebody who was always supportive of her no matter what and, and made her feel, you know, comfortable doing the things that she wants to do and becoming the kind of person that she wants to become. That's awesome. Talk to me about people in the industry who inspire you. So I'm, as I've gotten further in my career and, and kind of the landscape has changed and there's more women around me than there were earlier in my career, I I'm, take a ton of inspiration just from my peers, right? So I have a colleague who's also named Catherine, coincidentally, who is a single parent with three kids and she gets up and probably lives an entire day before she gets into the office and she comes in like ready to rock and roll, right? And just go balls out for eight hours and then go home and do it all over again. And just, you know, if she can, if she can show up to work and, and give it her all, like certainly I can. And my girlfriend Dina is like a decades long veteran in the, in the construction industry. And she just has a way of dealing with people that makes them, you know, makes them want to support her. And the way, you know, the way that she runs a negotiation is, is artful, right? She's awesome. My girlfriend, Jill was an architect at Jacobs and had it pretty comfortable kind of corporate job and decided that wasn't for her. And so she, she went on, stepped away and, you know, way out there and she started her own firm with some other female partners. They're called 15 and they really do a ton of projects that are really impactful to, to the community of Philadelphia. And it's just so awesome, the work that they do and, and how they use their talents to make the world a better place. So it's just like looking around you and every people every day are so inspiring and, and heroes in their own right. I think that's the thing I've learned. I think this is episode like 95. That's <laughs> what I've learned talking to everybody. And maybe I always knew it, but like everybody's got a pretty inspiring story and they're dealing with stuff or they've overcome something or they did something at some point in time. Like everybody's got an inspiring story. And when you, when you start looking around and appreciating that, you really change your perspective of like, you know, the classic construction industry is me versus you, but right. like the teamwork that can come from really appreciating everybody's story and that everybody's trying to do their best to become their best exactly. to, to execute is, I think, an awesome perspective. So thank you for reminding me of that. And in closing, you get the last word. So any closing inspiration to the industry? Sure. I, I recently gave 
talk internally at Macro to our women's affinity group. And the, the conversation was on personal branding, which again is kind of like a term I, that didn't exist when we, when we first started out. But it reminded me kind of listening to some of the, the younger women's questions, like it reminded me of how hard it can be sometimes to present yourself authentically because it, it can be scary. Like what if people don't like it? Right. Mm. But at the end of the day, you have to, you have to approach everything from a place of authenticity, because if you don't, people will figure out that that's not really you. Right. So just especially in in our world, which can be very contentious and and can you can butt heads with people all the time or people think that you're out to screw them. Like be yourself, assume everybody's coming from a good place and and just trying to be themselves too. (laughs) So I think, you know, that's, that's kind of my closing thought, I guess. I love it. that made any sense. It did. And, and I want to thank you again for, I mean, you hit on it as a dad of two girls, not to leave Trey out. I have one boy, but two girls <laughs> and you being an example out there in, in our industry for our girls to look up to. So thank you for what you're doing. Thanks for having me. It was so fun having you. Catherine Martinez, we will make sure, how do people get in touch with you? LinkedIn? Yes, I'm on LinkedIn with some of the other Catherine Martinez's out there, but I'm I'm the one from Macro. And the Macro website is macropm.com. So you can see, check out a little bit more about what we do there. Awesome. Catherine, thanks so much for your time. Thanks, BJ. Take care. Hey, everybody. If you're enjoying this show, do us a favor and subscribe to Inspiring People and Places on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast hosting platform. We'd also greatly appreciate if you left us a review and shared this with other entrepreneurial public servants and all your friends and family in the AEC space. Be sure to visit our website, www.mcfaglobal.com. Sign up for our newsletter to stay in touch with us and learn about all of the projects and clients we're helping. Last but not least, we are hiring. We are always hiring. Do us a favor. Take a look at what jobs we have open. Contact us through our website or connect with me on LinkedIn. Until next time, have a great rest of your week and a great weekend.